When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Podcast One Sportsnet is your home for the best coverage of the Final Four in this year's March Madness. Get all the play-by-play and top-notch analysis from sportscasting gurus like Dan Patrick and Rich Eisen. Then put your bets in with betting expert RJ Bell on RJ Bell's Dream Preview and laugh out loud with the biggest name in the game on the big podcast with Shaq. Download new episodes of these shows and more every week on Podcast One Sportsnet. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. Very excited to be able to have the time to pull this off um, with Tim Bontemps of ESPN, who relocated back to the East Coast at a great time for basketball reasons, because he is now in the thick of it for this fascinating Eastern Conference playoff push. And this episode is really a status report on the top four teams in the conference, and some on the Pacers, of course, as well, the Bucks, the Raptors, the Sixers, and the Celtics. We went in record order with those teams and talked about health, kind of the feel around the organization. And we spent some time talking about the long-term ramifications of the summer. All of these teams have massive uncertainty. Most of them have just stars that are hitting unrestricted free agency that have their own choices to make, but then the teams do as well. So we talked about all that along the way and matchups and what we're looking forward to in the playoffs and really great episode. Runs a little bit over an hour and it was it's brought to you by betonline.ag. Use that podcast one promo code for a 50% welcome bonus, but also you can tweet me your bet online account number and use the hashtag sportsnet bracket because I was the week two winner in our NCAA tournament bracket challenge. So that means I get to give away some free money to people. So that's awesome. You can check that out. CBS Sports HQ, which you can download on your phone or your many of many of your other devices, smart devices, really cool new format for content. Yahoo Daily Fantasy, use a pod25 promo code, whether you go to yahoo.com slash daily fantasy or use the Yahoo Fantasy app and you get $25 on top of your first deposit. And True Car, great place to sell or trade in your car. So I really like this conversation. We got into some some interesting topics on how these teams are constructed and where they're going from here. So I hope you really enjoy it as well. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, time, man. Good to catch up with you. Considering you are now primarily based out on the East Coast, something that I thought you, you're, especially because you've been traveling, kind of following these teams in this race, where I wanted to start was with a kind of a progress report on how the, particularly the top four teams, though, of course, the Pacers will come up in the course of that, 
are are kind of feeling going into this. A lot of these teams have high profile injuries slash fatigue, and so we might as well start at the top with the Milwaukee Bucks. They have the most numerous injuries, and I mean they don't have the highest profile ones because we'll talk about Joel Embiid and a couple other guys later. But Miritich, Malcolm Brogdon, and just a bunch of other kind of like rotation pieces being out. How do you think they're feeling about their not not their standing because they're first in the East, but just where where they're kind of situated going into the playoffs, which start a week from Saturday? Well, I've been around the box the last couple of days, and I will be at tonight's game. Uh, I think this will probably come out Friday, but uh, we're talking Thursday afternoon, so I'll be at the Buck Sixers game tonight. And uh, yeah, they're in an interesting spot, Milwaukee, right? Because they had no injuries all season, really. They kind of had this magical season where everything came together. Mike Boonholzer shows up. Uh, they signed Brook Lopez. They have a, a system that really works around Giannis, who I think has become the best player in the world. Uh, you know, they've dominated the regular season. They have one of the probably, you know, on, on paper, you could argue they have probably one of the 10 or 12 best regular seasons of all time from a statistical, a statistical standpoint, right? Uh, but they now have, you know, significant injury to Malcolm Brogdon, significant injury to Nikola Mirotic. Uh, you know, they've had Chris Middleton had a groin injury this week. Giannis has sprained his ankle a few times. Uh, so now we're less than two weeks away from the playoffs. And while the first round should almost certainly be a walkover for them, you don't feel quite as good about where they are compared to where they were, say, a month ago when they were just destroying people and healthy, right? Um, and I think generally around the league, despite the season they've had, I do think there is a healthy amount of skepticism about this team and about how good they're going to be in the playoffs. You have Mike Budenholzer, who, you know, in Atlanta had a lot of really good regular seasons and then did not, you know, fare as well in the postseason. You have Giannis, who is a singular force, but also a guy with a clear weakness with his lack of a consistent jumper. Uh, there was certainly not Ben Simmons, who will be playing tonight um, in that regard, that, you know, I think there is some question whether uh, you can exploit that some in the playoffs. And there also is the question of can guys like Eric Bledsoe and Brooke Lopez and, um, you know, some of these supporting players. I mean, Chris Middleton certainly proved he's a playoff performer last year, but there are questions about whether some of those other guys can step up in the playoffs. So I, I find it very interesting, the amount of the skepticism around them and kind of where the league is at. It reminds me a lot of uh, the 14-15 Warriors, like a team that kind of popped up out of nowhere, changed coaches, changed systems. Uh, and even throughout that run, even after that run, I mean, if you remember Doc Rivers in the summer saying they didn't have to play anybody healthy, right? Um, there was kind of a, a never-ending doubt about that team until they won. And I do wonder if, you know, we're looking at a situation here five years later or four years later where, um, you know, the Bucks find themselves in kind of a similar place. And, you know, I guess we'll see whether they can have a similar run through the postseason or not. It is very rare for a team to come in as a championship contender and be seen as legitimate immediately. Like Miami with LeBron, Wade, and Bosh is really an exception there. And it makes sense that LeBron, Wade, and Bosh would be an exception that proves the rule because those guys were so established. LeBron was the best player in the world at the time. Wade was still great. And Bosh was, was awesome as well. You know, people were skeptical of even the Boston Celtics. When those guys came together, they hadn't really won much individually, and the team was being constructed on the fly, and then they ended up winning a championship that first season, and the Warriors are are a good example as well. And hindsight, I think, blinds us a lot to those sorts of doubts because when they go away, it, people kind of forget that they happened. But yeah, the Warriors team, right. Warriors team was absolutely there. They were the, I think they were the number two team. They were number one in, I think they were number, yeah, number two or number one in net rating. You know, no, they were number one. That's right. When in the first 
first year with with Kerr and everyone's like, oh, you know, oh, look, the offense, it's gimmicky and all that kind of stuff. And then I think what really helped turn that was was they got so much better defensively, and that was what was being what was being lost was just their their fastball and and they had been good defensively under Mark Jackson to be sure, but they they went to another level when they in, in those playoffs. And I agree with you, there is that chance with Milwaukee. For me, it's a. I'm a little bit more skeptical because their personnel, like I think their offense is more prone to droughts than than the Warriors are, and then the Warriors in that time especially absolutely had those. But Milwaukee, they don't have quite as much shooting. They don't have the same, they, they, especially with Brogdon out. They don't have the same type of creation, and then their defense has some of the a, a little bit of Portland Trailblazers in it. In that the shots they're conceding, I think, become higher value shots once you get into better offenses. Like I'm not, I'm not criticizing their strategy, especially as a regular season approach, and, and especially with their personnel. But I worry that conceding even if you're kind of like letting the right one in and you're the, the idea of like who's shooting the shots matters and that's certainly true that once you face a team like the Raptors or the Warriors giving up any open threes is a problem yeah well, that's why they struggled against the Celtics right like the Celtics you know it's weird the top of the east is kind of a game of rock paper scissors with these various teams in my opinion where each of them is kind of at a significant disadvantage against one of the other ones uh Toronto has struggled with Milwaukee for example uh Philly as we know really struggles with Boston right uh Boston has I think you know they've won a couple games but they've they struggled a lot against Toronto and it's not a good matchup for them right and and you know the the Celtics have always had a lot of success against the Bucks when healthy uh, because they do have shooting at every spot, right? And if you, you know, if you even a guy like Aaron Baines can make a three, right? Even though you don't mind leaving him open. And uh, as we saw in the first round last year, he made a lot of threes against the Bucks, against the Bucks and then against the Sixers too, right? And Al Horford can shoot and Marcus Morris can shoot and Marcus Smart can hit enough shots now. Jalen Brown can shoot. Jason Tatum can shoot. Uh, Terry Rozier can shoot. Kyrie can obviously shoot, right? So um, to your point, almost no matter what lineup they have out there, if you just leave a guy wide open, he's going to be able to knock down a three. And if you're a team that says, we're not going to let anybody get to the rim and we're going to play, you know, against a jump shooting team in, in particular, like the Celtics, that can't really get to the rim anyway. Uh, that strategy is kind of minimized because the Celtics, as we saw in the very, the very first game I covered for ESPN was Celtics box back in November. And it's never, it's never got out of my head because the, the Celtics, I think went 24 for 55 in that game from three. Right. And they just threw up a billion threes and, you know, they eked out that game close late. And it was because Marcus Morris and Al Horford went like 10 for 25 from three. And that game is stuck in my head all year, especially now that it looks like the Celtics are going to play the Bucks if they get by their first round matchup anyway in the second round. Um, as just it could just be not a great matchup for this Milwaukee team. And to your point about their defense, you go back to like Budenholzer's tenure, right? There's a reason why his team has given up, you know, two or three of the four or five highest three point make games in, in NBA history, right? Because he he is, prides himself on not letting people get to the rim. And he doesn't mind these teams jacking up threes with, you know, average or below average three-point shooters. And that leaves you open to on a night where guys get hot to give up a lot of them. The point about what Boston is trying to get is is something that needs to be emphasized. It basically cannot be emphasized enough. And you brought up Boston getting to the rim. That is certainly a good point on this. So so for the season, I like to think about this as, as Queen the Glass does it in terms of the proportion of shots. 
Boston fourth lowest proportion of their shots at the rim this year. But in some ways, more importantly, one of the huge things that Milwaukee has done this year to improve their defense is that they're not fouling. They're not fouling at all. Well, you know who that's not a competitive advantage against? The Boston Celtics, who do not get to the free throw line. So you are, I I have a piece that's coming out on a very different topic where I talk about something as being a sledgehammer trying to put in a nail. That's kind of what some of Boston's quote unquote, what is not quote unquote, it's, it's real. Some of their competitive advantages turn into against the Celtics. It's like, yeah, you're great at stopping this thing that the other team doesn't want to do in the first place. And something else, I think Milwaukee's going to, they need to have substantially more wrinkles. I don't remember if it was that game in, no, in November or if it was a different one where Boston realized at halftime that Milwaukee was intensely overhelping off the weak side. And so what Boston was doing was they started driving not to score, but driving to draw the help and then immediately, almost robotically, passing it to the space vacated by the help. And then that guy was getting a wide open jump shot. And there are obviously adjustments and counter adjustments and all that kind of stuff over a playoff series, but it served to me as a reminder that if you have shooting and you have good coaching and you have intelligent players, it's a lot easier to find the new path when the primary path gets blocked. Yeah, no question. And and look, this has been kind of the one knock on Mike Budenholzer in his career, right? That he, he comes from the Greg Popovich school. And what is Greg Popovich famous for? Not really watching the other team, right? And basically saying, hey, we are going to go out there and we're going to do our thing. And you aren't going to be able to stop us from doing it. And we're going to out-execute you and we're going to win, right? And look, that's led to Pop. Pop's won a billion games. Right. He's won five titles. He's been to six finals. He's got yet another team to the playoffs somehow without seemingly enough talent to do so. Right. So and you look at Mike Budenholzer's track record, it's it's a good formula. Right. You're going to win a lot of games. He's a very good coach. But when you get into a playoff series and you do have over the course of seven games adjustments back and forth, you need to have more there a lot of the time. Right. And that's something that I think a lot of people are curious about. It's something I'm curious about. Can the Bucks make those adjustments necessary during the playoffs? Uh, to come out on top in the series. And part of it, too, is, and I think you kind of alluded to it before, they have a system that's perfectly built with the guys they have, but the guys they have are not necessarily the most adaptable, right? Like Brooke Lopez, a guy I covered for a long time in New Jersey and Brooklyn, I know him very well. He's really done an awesome job for them this year as a floor-spacing big who can really protect the rim, right? Because people, I think, forget that Brooke Lopez is like the same size as Joel Embiid. He's a gigantic human being, and he's done a good job, you know, learning to be vertical and and patrolling the paint, but he also isn't the guy that can really get out on the perimeter, right? And if you have space, you know, spacing guys who can, you know, get him moving around like that, that could put him in trouble. Um, they don't, they have a lot of guys that are like good at certain things, but not necessarily versatile or enough to move around and do other stuff outside of obviously having the ultimate Swiss army knife and Giannis. Um, and, and I do wonder, you know, like you said, when you get into a playoff series like that, do they have the ability to adjust enough to, to come out on top if they're playing a Toronto or a Boston, a team that can do a lot of different things, right? It can play a lot of different ways. The Bucks seem like they can kind of play one way and that's kind of what they're going to do. And they've been, you know, incredibly efficient at it this year at both ends of the court, but it's, it's what makes them such an interesting the question for me to, to ponder going into the playoffs is how good they are and how good they're going to be because again if you go back to the numbers the numbers say this is an all-time great team and they should be the overwhelming favorite to not only get to the finals but like really push golden state in the finals right uh and there's just a lot of hesitation about that from a lot of smart people um and it, it does it does lead to what i think is going to be you know a really really interesting playoffs for them 
to see just how far they can go and how many of those people they can either prove right or wrong. A couple of different things that are worth unpacking there. One of them, I like that you brought up Popovich Budenholzer, obviously from that tree and was a part of many of those Spurs teams, is that San Antonio, especially in the current vintage, they've been incredibly impressive in the regular season, outperforming their talent level. But even if you dig back pretty far, there are notable exceptions, including some of the championships they've won. But generally speaking, from when I think about it more anecdotally, though I think I have a pretty good memory of this, I would say San Antonio teams have underperformed relative to expectations more than they have outperformed expectations, especially in the late career and post-Tim Duncan part, because Tim Duncan is unbelievable and gave them a, a defensive edge that a lot of their teams couldn't touch. And I think part of that, I mean, you could go back to that series that they blew against the Oklahoma City Thunder, like, I'm thinking more of the one that I think it was, was that 2012? Like, where they won the first two games, then lost the last four, and yes. looked they looked unstoppable, and then OKC adjusted, and they had all these physical strengths, and then, and, and so Popovich teams, yeah, they haven't really had that adjustment. Now, some of that is that he's maximized unusual personnel, and that there's not as much you can do, and those Spurs teams have been predicated on bench depth, and that doesn't matter as much in the playoffs because teams are playing their best players more often. So that competitive advantage dissipates and the Bucks are constructed in a different way. But then the other part that, and this is not a Budenholzer is necessarily bad at a thing. It's that an, it's an, I'm not sure thing is whether he will play his best players enough and in the right configuration. So he trusts Ersan Ilyasova, for example, more than I do. And it's not that the Bucks have a ton of options, especially if they wanted, wanted to theoretically go to Giannis at center, let's say against the Celtics or against the Warriors. Brooke Lopez is just not as big of a positive as he is against other teams. They don't really have, unless everybody's healthy and, you know, Brogdon comes back and he's fine and Miritich comes back and he's fine. They don't have a lot of options in terms of that Giannis at center lineup. And it's also not something we've seen that much this season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Are they saving it for the playoffs or is it something they don't, Giannis doesn't want to do? Do they not feel confident in it? Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's something you would think we're going to see more of, but you know, it remains to be seen if we will. And, you know, again, this is just, this is part of the thing like Milwaukee. And and it's interesting to, to compare and contrast Milwaukee and Toronto, right? Like Milwaukee has really drilled in on the same stuff, uh, on the same stuff, day after day after day, right? They played the same way. They played the same system. They, they've, they've really turned themselves into a hyper-efficient machine at what they do. Meanwhile, look at Toronto, right? Like Toronto last night, they played Brooklyn. I'm at the game. Toronto plays okay. Not great. They win by 10 or 12. They cruise to a win. Um, they have a lineup in at the end of the game where Danny Green and Mark Sauer on the bench. And I think Fred Van Vliet and Serge Bakker on the court, right? Um, they have spent all season going back to uh, going back to August, really, or July, really ever since the day Nick Nurse took over the job. They have spent every single day preparing for the playoffs. And not just and, and like you could say, well, every team's doing that, Tim, right? Well, that's true. But like the Raptors in particular have had their entire season geared around finally breaking through in the playoffs in a way they haven't before. That goes for the way they've managed Kawhi Leonard to make sure he's healthy. The way they managed uh, Kyle Lowry, and anytime he's had an ankle issue, sit him down and give him some rasters back, give him time to make sure he's right. Uh, they have tinkered with lineups all season. Uh, flipping back and forth between first Jonas Valanciunas and Serge Ibaka, now Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka, to make sure they are as versatile as possible for the playoffs. They've tried different combinations. Uh, they've experimented with different rotations. 
Um, you know, they, they have tried a, a incredibly wide array of things because what they want to do is get into the playoffs and know that they can go to any combination of guys or principles or style of play that they want. And it'll be something that these guys have done before and worked on before in the regular season. And despite all of that change and all of that tumult and all of that stuff, the Raptors are going to win close to 60 games. They are, in my opinion, easily one of the three best teams in the league, along with Golden State and Milwaukee. And they're, they've been my pick to go to the finals since the preseason, and they remain my pick, despite me being bullish on the box more than a lot of people, even though I do have some concerns. Because I do think that when they get in the playoffs, and they roll out there, Kyle Lowry, Danny Green, Kawhi Leonard, Pascal Siakam, you know, Van Bleet or Abaka, or, uh, you know, Gasol or Abaka, plus Fred Van Bleet, plus Norm Powell, um, you know, plus, you know, OJ and Obi thing, get him going. Um, they've got a deep, versatile team that can play, in my opinion, more ways effectively than any team in the league. And I think that this team is primed to have a big time run in the playoffs. And I think their experience, combined with the talent they have, has them as the favorites. And I think, you know, you've seen recently, they've finally been healthy after basically not having their whole team all season, and they feel really good. I saw those guys last night. When you asked for, like, a status report on the on the Raptors, like I talked to Kyle Lowry for a while before the game. I wrote a big column about it last night uh, after the game. He feels really confident. Nick Nurse feels really confident. I think Kawhi feels really confident. Um, they they are just ready to go. They are, they are ready for the playoffs to start today. And I, and I feel like after years of kind of angst and, you know, tenseness in Toronto, and like, oh, are we going to make a run? Are we going to lose in the first round again? I really feel like that team is poised to have a big-time postseason and really put to rest a lot of the stuff that's been brought up about them over the past several years. It can be a useful point of clarification and separation for the people who put all this organizational stuff on this year's Raptors team. Because for me, this is a completely different group. Not only at the top with Nick Nurse, personnel, they have players who are much better suited for the playoffs than in other years. I mean, I've been critical of DeMar DeRozan for years. I mean, going back to saying that year that they were monsters, I thought they might get knocked out by the Pacers, and they almost did. They ended up winning that series in in Game 7. I don't put any of that weight whatsoever on this collection of individuals. It's it's a very different thing. There are other concerns that I have, but it is not like, oh, Toronto, they've underperformed the ghosts of LeBron James, all that kind of stuff, because that's not this team. It's not, you know, they're wearing the same uniform, they're playing in the same arena, but it's not the same group of guys. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I was, I was thinking about this last night, right? So I'm in the locker room talking to Kyle before the game, and they've replaced, uh, you know, Delon Wright, Jonas Valanciunas, DeMar DeRozan, uh, you know, Jakob Pertl and, and, you know, that, that force of the guys with Danny Green, Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Saul, and an emergent Pascal Siakam, who's becoming a star like overnight and is like a legit, I think, all-star level player now, right? Like, just think about that talent upgrade alone from where they were before, right? Like all four of those guys are significant. Even if you say Marcus Saul isn't quite the same player was before, he still is a significant upgrade over Jonas Valanciunas. And you run down that line, like those guys are all massive upgrades. And all four of those guys were key contributors last year in the playoffs. And you have Norm Powell, frankly, who is a lot better this year than he was last year. So even if you have OJ Ananobi, who's taken a step back, you look across the rest of that team, but that team is loaded with players. 
And I think they're confident. I think they're ready. I think they're, and I just, I just feel really good about them in the playoffs. And, you know, again, you have a guy in Kawhi that is really a difference to me from what they had before and that, you know, you know, even against a guy like Giannis, you could put Kawhi Leonard out there and the Bucs may have the best player, but it's not like when they, when the, when the Raptors used to play the Cavs and there was a gulf, right? You know, the size of the Gulf of Mexico between LeBron and the best player on the Raptors. Now it's, okay, you know, Giannis, I would say, has a slight edge over Kawhi, but it's not that big. And it's certainly a debatable thing if Kawhi's playing really well. You know, you can argue he's in the same ballpark, if not a little better. So I just think that whole combination of stuff, I just think has this Raptors team really well positioned. And um, I think they're going to not ha- I think they're going to handle Philly in the second round. And I, I, I am really excited for the Easter Conference Finals, whether it is the Celtics who get by the, the Bucks. Or, you know, whether it is the Bucks and the Raptors, I just think that has a chance, along with the NBA Finals, to be two really, really awesome series between deep, talented teams. That also has a huge impact on the arc of the league. I mean, you think about with the pending free agencies of numerous guys in those potential two series. Lots more to talk about with Tim Bontemps, but first, a message from betonline.ag. It's not a surprise that now is a great time to be checking out betonline.ag. We're getting really close to the NBA and NHL playoffs, and then, of course, the Final Four starts on Saturday fascinating group and something that's pretty awesome i finished so we've been doing a sportsnet podcast one sportsnet bracket challenge and i tied for first overall in the second week of our of our predictions and even though like many people my bracket isn't completely perfect moving forward what that means is that i can give some people money on betonline.ag so what you do is you send a tweet to me with your betonline.ag account number, and you can find an extra $100 in your account. So sign up, and if you haven't already, you betonline.ag, use that podcast one promo code, and you get a 50% welcome bonus, which is fantastic. And even if you are already a member and can't get the, can't get the welcome bonus, you can just tweet at me and make sure to use the hashtag SportsNetBracket, S-P-O-R-T-S-N-E-T, bracket b-r-a-c-k-e-t all one all one thing because that's how a hashtag works and we're going to pick a random assortment of the people who do that with their with their account number and that hashtag and they're going to get a hundred dollars in their account which is pretty awesome so can use that for whatever you want and there's so much going on in the world of sports right now and they have some really fun stuff with futures if you have an idea of who you think is going to win the championship or win the MVP, things like that. You can do that as well. I was actually looking through those odds the other day and having some fun with it. So definitely check out betonline.ag. Use that podcast one promo code for a 50% welcome bonus and tweet at me using the hashtag sportsnetbracket and you could find $100 in your betonline.ag account. I also want to tell you about CBS Sports HQ. As you know, we are in the heart of one of the greatest sport events on the calendar, March Madness. And the best place to stay on top of all NCAA tournament coverage is CBS Sports HQ. What is CBS Sports HQ? It is the free 24-hour sports network that is built just for fans like you and me. And that's because, especially for listeners of Real Jam Radio, you don't get any of the hot takes, fake debates, like other sports networks, just what matters. Nonstop highlights, news and analysis. And since it's 24 hours a day, it doesn't matter when you tune in. You can get that great substance whenever. And if you enjoy playing fantasy or placing some bets, their experts are always dishing out picks to help you win. So check out CBS Sports HQ. It is always on and always free. No need to pay a subscription fee or have an expensive cable package. You just download the CBS Sports app. 
on your phone, Fire TV, Roku, or Apple TV to start watching today. Something else I wanted to mention that has really affected the Raptors this year in in such a fascinating way is when they traded for Kawhi, my thought was, oh man, you know, this team is like, they can go to these lineups, especially because they got Danny Green in the deal. They can go to all these lineups with Kawhi at at power forward and they have search pocket center. They can go new age and all that. They haven't gone to it that much. It's uh, cleaning the glasses metric has it at 483 possessions with Kawhi at power forward. And they've been amazing. They have a plus 18 net rating in that group. But a big part of the reason why they haven't is because Pascal Siakam. Like they don't, the right. uh, the whole idea of Kawhi at the four was so that you could have all this floor spacing and the, and dynamics and, and have a really good defensive mobile group. Siakam brings a lot of what theoretically, let's say OG or Norm Powell, or if they wanted to go smaller with Fred Van Vliet brings to the table and even then they haven't gone to that they haven't gone to that that much they've still played Kawhi at the four more than twice as much as Milwaukee has played Giannis at the five which has basically not happened this year yeah I mean look Pascal Siakam has exploded onto the scene right like a lot of people were bullish on Pascal right coming into the year a lot of people like hey this guy could be really good you know but like he is he has taken a huge step I mean, last night he has 28, 10, and 5. The Nets decide they're not going to guard him. What does he do? He knocks down a few threes, right? Um, he can get to the to the rim on just about anybody. Um, he's a he's a really good passer. He's a he's a versatile defender, can guard every spot. And there's a reason he's been compared to Draymond Green, right? Like that, he could turn into that kind of a talent for them. And he's kind of doing it already. And to your point, like you don't need to play Kawhi at the, at the four when you can play Pascal at the four who can guard one through four or five, right? And if you want him to take the best player, you know, and that's the other thing about the Raptors too. Like just think about the idea that when they're in a high leverage situation, you can roll out there, Kyle Lowry, Danny Green, Kawhi Leonard, and Pascal Siakam. Like that is an unbelievable defensive combination. If you even just want to go two through four, I mean, you know, Danny Green, Kawhi, and Pascal is right up there with, you know, Clay, Kevin, and, and Draymond in terms of like what that group can do from a versatility standpoint, from a getting into guys standpoint, um, you know, from a length and athleticism standpoint. Um, you know, obviously like Durant during the regular season has been coasting, right? But like when those guys ramp it up, they can really guard. And the Raptors can really guard and they can switch. They can, they can play any scheme. I mean, it, they just, to me, are the complete package. And I think, you know, they, you know, Nick Nurse described, told me last night, you know, he described their season as a, a non-rocky season, you know, and they haven't, they haven't been up or down about anything. And if somebody's been around them a lot this year, I think that's a fair and accurate way to look at it, right? Like they, they have literally spent the last eight months doing everything they can to prepare for the next two. And I just feel like when they get there, they're going to be as ready to go for the playoffs as any team in the league, you know, even, even more than say Golden State, which has done it a million times and is really just coasting because they haven't really been coasting. They've just, they just have been using, you know, Kawhi has called it the regular season 82 practice games. And I think that's kind of the perfect way to sum up the way the Raptors have approached the season. It's been incredibly professional. And despite the injuries, despite guys in and out of the lineup, they have used this time to be as well-rounded and prepared as they possibly can for any situation when the playoffs come around. Yeah, it is really impressive. And one one of the few wrinkles that Toronto hasn't gone to as much, but I fully expect it to be a possibility in the playoffs, is Kawhi at the four and Siakam at the five. They don't have right. a perfect fifth beetle in that alignment right now. I mean, OG's disappointed this year. Powell and Van Vliet are both imperfect. They actually used DeLon right there a little bit before, but obviously they can't now. That's something that's really interesting to me, like moving forward is is another one. But something else that I think Toronto's done that has just lingered with me a little bit 
is some of the experimentation they've done with the zone. And it's not perfect against everybody, but I really like that when I've seen Toronto go to it, first of all, they put Pascal Siakam at the top, and I love that. I think most teams, they go to kind of like a more basic thing of, oh, just put guys in their kind of normal spot. It's like the old, it's like the old Kevin Garnett at the, at the top of the one three one. Exactly. with Flip way back in the day. Exactly. Yep. And, and so, and Toronto... I always like it when a team tries something different, not because they failed at the first thing. And that, because to me, that shows intellectual curiosity, that shows a willingness to see what else is out there. And I really like that about Nick Nurse. Like, Nick Nurse is not going to win Coach of the Year, and I don't think he deserves to be in the like top group there. But remember that Coach of the Year is not best coach. And I'm not saying Nick Nurse is the best coach in the league. But what you're seeing from him compared to some of the other coaches around the league is a lot of really interesting process and decision-making and big-picture stuff, which you don't usually see from someone who is in their first year at the head job at an NBA level. I've been incredibly impressed with Nick Nurse this year. Um, I think when you look at the... um, like I said, going back to the amount of experimentation they've done and the willingness, like you said, to try different things, um, it it's really interesting that that the Raptors have been so willing to try all this stuff and do all this stuff, right? Because you know you would think, hey, we got Kawhi Leonard here, we only got one year, maybe like we got to make sure we get the one seed, we got to give ourselves the best chance to advance, and it's like just from the from the beginning, I just I it's been really interesting the sense of calm and confidence this team has had in itself and in what it's going to do. And it's led them to approach this season in a very business like, you know, Kyle, Kyle described it as, you know, it's been an incredibly professional approach from them, right? Like they aren't getting excited about wins and losses. They aren't, uh, they aren't like, you know, saying, oh, we got to be the best team in the league. We got to do this. We got to do that. It's like, hey, we have to spend every day trying to figure out the best way we can maximize our talent when we get to the playoffs to get where we haven't been before. And like you said, I think that's a, an incredibly impressive thing from a, a guy who's never been a head coach in the NBA before, that he has been a head coach all over the place, um, to take that approach. And I do think, you know, one thing that I think, you know, it's kind of been under-talked about with that is, you know, and I think this goes for Dave Yeager. I think it goes for Quinn Snyder. These guys who came from the G League, it came from the minor leagues, right? If you're coaching in the G League or, the, or, you know, when it was the D League or in the CBA or one of these leagues, right, you need to be prepared to have a different lineup every game. And because you have guys getting called up, you have guys getting cut, you have guys getting traded. Like, unlike the NBA, it, it's a constant churn, right? And you have to take what you've got that day and go, okay, we got to find a way to win with who we got tonight, these eight or nine guys. And I think, you know, I think that's really benefited Toronto that Nurse is a, he's a creative guy in general. And he, he, you know, he has, he likes to try different stuff, but he also is a guy that's used to playing with less than a full deck. And I, I think that's allowed them to, you know, navigate this season really comfortably because they haven't been like, oh man, Kawhi isn't playing today. What are we going to do? Oh man, Kyle Lowry isn't playing today. What are we going to do? You know, like they just go, okay, we got to figure this out. And they go figure it out, and then they move on to the next thing. It helps that they have a lot of really good players, and that that makes these decisions easier. <laughs> yes, that is that is a fundamental difference between them and the the team they will presumably face in the second round, the Philadelphia 76ers. And I think that's a, a worthy transition into the Sixers. I I'm of a couple of different minds with them. I I still believe in their ceiling. I think that this team, if they put it together, like just the individual talent that they can put out there, like their best five man lineup is absolutely fascinating to me. But they face the misfortune of 
being at this level in a year when the top of the Eastern Conference is really, really strong. Like in a very different year, I think they could take what they have that's good and, you know, figuring out some of this bench stuff. We'll see if James Ennis is Well, how about last year, right? Like just go back a year ago. Like if, I mean, think about, think about the way the East shook out last year and you just drop in, you know, really any of these teams, but especially Philly with that top end talent, like, you know, the, the Cavs barely got by a Celtics team without Kyrie and Gordon Hayward. Right. I mean, and playing like three guys who are under 22, a lot of minutes. If you were all this starting five out last year, Philly's probably in the finals, even with those issues aside. Right. So that is, it's, it's useful. And I mean, it's very possible that some of these teams in this mix will be worse next year. That's, po- I mean, basically all of them have high profile free agents that could very well choose to go elsewhere. And that includes the Sixers, part of what makes this playoffs so, so just huge for, for the overall arc of the league. But for Philly, I think the other part of this, and this is something that that Nate brings up a lot and I've adopted as well, is that the playoffs are partially about the the extreme severity of your strengths. And that gets a lot of attention. But what I have grown to appreciate over particularly the last three years is that it is also about a lack of weakness or the severity of your weaknesses. And that's what really concerns me about Philadelphia. Not only the depth issue, which is a massive, massive concern. They just do not have that many guys that you can trust. And yes, starters play a higher proportion of minutes in the playoffs, but there are going to be foul trouble. There's going to be foul trouble. There are going to be turned ankles and things like that where a guy either isn't right or can't play for a part of a game or a whole game. And they just don't have a lot of other options. And then the other part is just, I think they're, you know, unless Joel Embiid is at this level, and it's entirely possible that he is, to me, of these four teams, they are meaningfully the easiest team to defend. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I think of the four teams, I'm I'm least confident in Philly um, for a variety of reasons. I think, you know, you mentioned the depth. I haven't really liked a lot of the depth moves they've made during the season. Um, you know, you said they don't have a lot of guys they could trust. I think they have six. Uh, I think it's their starting five, and then it's Mike Scott, and I think that's it. I don't. I think after that, you know, whether it's Mike, Mike, Mike Scott, who you can't trust with like decision making in crunch time, also. So in case somebody's correct. in foul trouble, correct. there is correct. a history there. There is a history there, but he is at least a guy that other teams, um, uh, other teams uh, are confident that, or other teams would be concerned about Mike Scott being on the court, right? Like I know that from talking to other teams. Like Mike Scott, Mike Scott's a guy if he's on the court to go, man, that guy can score, right? So teams, he's a guy that teams would be concerned about. But you know, teams can exploit Boban. Teams can exploit T.J. McConnell. I don't think Jonathan Simmons is very good. I don't think James Ennis is very good. Um, you know, so that and that's like the rest of their rotation. So uh, that's that's a real problem. Um, and look, the you know Ben Simmons was completely exploited in the playoffs last year. He looks like the exact same player this year. Um, he hasn't really. I mean, I don't know if you disagree. I don't think he really added anything new to his game. Now, he's a really good player, but I don't know if he can't ever shoot more than this. I don't know how much better he can actually get. Um, though he could be in a team with that fits his style better, but he's not on that team. He's on the he's on the Sixers who have. Joel Embiid, who's kind of an awkward fit with him. Um, you know, they have when they have Jimmy Butler, Ben, and Joel on the court at the same time, they don't have a lot of shooting, even with two excellent shooters out there, Tobias and J.J. Reddick. Their starting lineup has only played 10 games together all season, which is crazy when you think about it, right? Like, you're going in the, start, in the playoffs with this 
starting five that essentially has not played on the court at all together. Um, so oh, it's but it's just, okay. It's they're just, all they're I, all plug and play guys that won't need to adjust to playing with each other. <laughs> right. I mean, you have guys who are used to having the ball. I mean, it, it's there's a reason why uh, you know the one time that a team in recent memory has won a title after making a trade like this midseason are the old four Pistons when they got Rasheed Wallace at the deadline. Uh, there's a reason that teams do this and don't win very often because generally you need to have the consistency that comes with playing over the course of a full year to really be able to win at the highest level in the postseason. Um, and obviously you could add like depth pieces, right? Or six or six guys or seven guys or whatever, but like adding two star level players and whether Tobias Harris is an all-star or just a really nice player, he's a star level player, right? So you add him and Jimmy Butler in the middle of the season to what already was a complicated mix um, from a stylistic standpoint. And yeah, I just, I just have a lot of concerns about Philly and I think, and look, and that's, that's setting aside this, this question about Joel Embiid, you know, again, I, I assume this is going to run on Friday. We're still a couple hours away from pregame for Sixers uh, Bucks, and you know, Joel Embiid has missed the last three games before this road trip, this previous road trip started. The Sixers said he wasn't going to play, and then he would be reevaluated when they got back to, to Philly, which is today. Uh, and out of nowhere, the, the Sixers decided to sign Greg Monroe uh, yesterday. Now, again, it could just be, you know, Justin Patton had not played all year, the guy that they waived. Uh, perhaps they decide, hey, you know, we're going uh, to get Greg Monroe and give us some more protection inside because Amir Johnson can't really play and you know whatever we'll do that but maybe it's also that Joel's knee is not great and he needs to miss some more time and you know Joel Embiid has to miss the final eight games of regular season going to the playoffs say right like that's not great so yeah I mean there's there's a lot of questions here there's also a lot of talent but I, I just I have a lot of concerns about this all coming together fast enough for the uh for the Sixers to make the kind of run they hope to. The affirmative case for the Sixers basically relies on one thing, and it's their best five-man lineup has only played 353 possessions together. So I think that's, you know, yeah, a few hundred, few hundred minutes, something like that. They have a plus 22.4 net rating. And that is incredible that, you know, yeah, they're not going to play those guys together for 48 minutes. And that's actually one of the bigger problems with the Sixers is their bench is so bad that they can't, you know, they can't put those guys together as much. They have to stagger them. And and that's unfortunate, but they can still, if the game is close late, they can go to that group. And even if they don't understand exactly, like they don't have all the pieces together in terms of how to play with each other, they're so damn good that that can, that that can work out really well. That is a big part of it is maybe they're just so talented that a lot of these other things don't matter as much. And there have been teams that have made that work in the past that have just, they're just so talented that even an imperfect fit. And if they were, let's say, let's say you just swap the Sixers and the Warriors, theoretically, I would feel a lot better about that. But the problem is they're going to be facing teams at some point, probably not in the first round, who are not only well put together, but also have that experience and and in many cases might have a coaching advantage. I didn't love a ton of what we saw from Brett Brown last year, though, again, it's hard with the very specific personnel that they have to there aren't as many wrinkles available to you when you have players with such unique skill sets like Ben Simmons in particular so the the Sixers are in this in this weird place also I mean it looks like to me a, a good way of thinking about this is Philly has a crazy high ceiling but so does Toronto but the difference between the two teams is is more of like the 50% expected value outcome I would say Toronto is meaningfully higher there. So yeah, Philly can reach the height. If they're playing at a higher proportion of their capacity than the than the Raptors are, they absolutely 
could win a series against them. But I think that's the way they're going to have to win because if it's even, unless it's like in that top echelon that Philly really finds it, Toronto has a huge advantage. Yeah, and look, like the one thing that, you know, to go back real quick, I think part of the reason that the Raptors haven't played a ton of Pascal Siakam at the five is that unlike Draymond Green, Pascal isn't quite big enough, I don't think, to guard a lot of fives, right? Whereas right. Draymond is a, a tree trunk. He can he can guard a Marcus All or a Joel Embiid for a while and it's not gonna kill you. I mean Pascal's just not that big, right? Um, but that being said, uh, the reason I bring that up is the one thing that the, the Sixers really had success with against the Raptors this year was bullying them inside with Joel Embiid, right? Well, part of that was because a couple of the times they played was when Jonas you know, Valanciunas was out with his fractured thumb after, ironically, it got broken when he got hit by Draymond Green in the game that the Warriors lost by a million points to the Raptors in Oakland, right? Well, now you have Marcus Saul on the court for Toronto, a guy who has historically defended Joel Embiid very well and is one of the best post defenders in the league. And now one of the weapons that you have, if you're Philly, you go really confident about say, hey, you know, we can throw the ball into the big fella and he can really take these guys apart inside. Well, now you really can't do that either, right? Because Marcus Saul is about as good of a guy as you could have in there to guard, against, uh, guard a guy like Joel Embiid. So, yeah, I mean – like you said, their their ceiling is very high uh, if everything works out right, but it needs so many things have to work out right for it to come out that way that I just don't expect it to happen. And uh, to your point about Brett Brown, I feel bad for Brett Brown because I, I think he just has been put in an impossible spot uh, because you they have a, so much talent in that starting lineup that you just look at it and you go, oh, man, like – they got to make that work. Like, how, how could it not with five great players like that, right? But they are such an awkward fit in so many ways that I, it's just so hard to, to make that team work the way it should. Um, and, and he's had really no time to do it. So I, I really sympathize with the position he's in because I, I think that's just an incredibly difficult job to make that group work and work the way it's supposed to. Um, and I, I'm not sure... I'm not sure anybody could do a better job than Brett has. And I just think, I think he takes a lot of criticism for not being able to solve problems that I'm, I'm not really sure are fixable. Plenty more to talk about with Tim Bontemps, but a message from Yahoo Daily Fantasy. Yahoo Daily Fantasy is going big this year. Still plenty of time to get in on NBA action. Baseball has already started and golf is in full swing. So it is a perfect time to start playing Yahoo Daily Fantasy. If you've never played Daily Fantasy before, Yahoo has you covered. Unlike the other sites that let users enter 150 different lineups in their biggest contest, Yahoo has a 10 entry maximum. That means better chances for you to win in the big contests. Something that I really like is that they have a quick match feature. And so that's particularly great for beginners, a group that includes me, and it will match you with an opponent for a head-to-head contest that is at your skill level. So you don't need to worry about getting taken advantage of by experienced players, and you can do one quick match contest. They have a lot of different money ranges, $1, $2, $5, 10 and 25 for slate, and there is no management fee. So that means if you play head-to-head for and you put up 10 bucks and you win, you get 20 You don't have to worry about anything else getting taken out. So if you want to check it out, go to yahoo.com slash daily fantasy or download the Yahoo Fantasy app and you get $25 in free play when you make your first deposit using the promo code POD25, P-O-D-25, the 25 represents the $25. You don't need to wait on the bonus. You can use it immediately to enter a contest and the minimum deposit is only $5. So go to yahoo.com slash daily fantasy or download the Yahoo Fantasy app and use the promo code POD25. Also have a message from TrueCar. 60 seconds. That is exactly how long this commercial lasts. 
You know what else you can do in about a minute? Get an offer for your car with TrueCar. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a true cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to TrueCar and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you will get an accurate true cash offer from a local TrueCar certified dealer. It is that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they will check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need so there are no surprises. Then, simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So, when you are ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out TrueCar today. I'm going to put you on the spot with a question that I just thought of, but I'm very... I'm now processing it myself, which is this. So you take the, the, let's say the four guys, because Redick is a pending free agent and all that other kind of stuff. Let's say theoretically that the Sixers have the option of keeping two and then moving the other two for fair market value or letting them go free agency, however you want to interpret that. Which two would you want to keep moving forward? Just start the beginning of that again. So, 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 basi- of, so of, basically, the Sixers. The let's say, but... let's say, Tobias, Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. You get to keep two, but then the other two. It's not that you just dump them for nothing. It's that you get to move them for fair value. Should that be available? So, like, you're not giving Ben Simmons to Phoenix. You're trading him for whatever the best offer you could get is. Like, how? Yeah, because, I mean, I, it's so weird because this kind team. Of a, well, it's a it's a it's a weird question because two of the guys are free agents. Yeah, right? that's true. Uh, and so. I mean, look, I think essentially what you're asking when you ask that question is, would it make sense for Philly to trade Ben Simmons, really? Yeah, right? pretty much. Like that's, that's really the question. And I think you can make an argument that they should, right? Like like I said before, Ben is a really talented player, but if his shooting doesn't get better, I don't really know how impactful he can be at the highest level because you just can't guard it or you don't have to guard him. And, you know, like when Toronto, for example, puts Kawhi on him and he gets really up in him and does guard him while well, he – commits like eight or nine turnovers every time they play, right? Uh, so, I mean, look, he's he's an incredible talent. He's a great player. But I, I do wonder if you could trade him and you could get a lot back for him. Like, is that the right move to make? I, I would I would think long and hard about it. Now, I also wouldn't be in a rush to do it. But, um, yeah, like people have said, like, oh, he could be honest on another team, right, that's built around him in that kind of a way. I just fundamentally disagree. I don't think Ben – Ben isn't as big as him. He's not as impactful defensively as him. Um, he And, like, Giannis can at least make a three, right? Like, Marco Fultz has made more threes than Ben Simmons has. Uh, you know, Marco, three, Marco Fultz has attempted more threes than Ben Simmons has, who hasn't made a single one in his career, and I think he's attempted like 10, right? So, I mean, that it's just such a fundamental flaw. Like, I think you're the one who said that uh, it's like a Monet painting with a, like, blotch in the corner that you just can't take your eye off of, right? And, I, you know, I think if you, if you said, like, hey, we're going to re-sign Tobias and re-sign Jimmy and re-sign JJ, and we're going to we're going to turn around and we're going to trade Ben Simmons for a bunch of depth pieces, right? I think you could justify that, you know, if you wanted to. Um, but, you know, I also am not sure that the Sixers either can or should uh, make that kind of move, given what they've already said they're going, they plan on investing, what they have invested in the, uh, the Ben and Joel partnership so far. It's also distinctly possible that they just never get back somebody as good as Ben Simmons, and even an imperfect fit of two amazing players is better than a better fit of, of 
inferior players. I mean, I think that's that's a fair way of putting it. The other element here is that Joel Embiid's knee, like if that becomes a bigger thing, if maybe maybe he's not, you know, I think, I mean, he's been amazing this year. He's going to be my first team All-NBA center. But building around, you know, like long-term saying, okay, the entire theory of our team is based on Joel Embiid being 100% all the time. Like that's scary. You know, that, and it's not as big of a deal if you're, a you know a, a middle of the road playoff team or if you're a fringe playoff team because then you're always going to be taking chances but if their goal and I'm not saying it is or it should be is winning a championship either one time or multiple times then that gets you know that, that gets in there too I don't know exactly how to feel about it I will again we'll know a lot more after this year and that's a very useful part of the Ben Simmons experiment as well and something else you brought up the the Simmons Giannis comparison a basic point that needs to be emphasized as a difference between those two is playing with force. Ben Simmons, when he when he's engaged, especially defensively, can be a very good, very good defensive player. He had a magnificent defensive game actually against the Warriors when they played at Oracle earlier this year. And when yeah. he does that, he's great. But he does that, you know, let's say like one out of every three or four games, maybe even less frequently than that. You've watched, you've probably watched more of him, especially in person, than I have. And so how do you reconcile that? Now, some guys, you know, they if they get into the playoffs, they can kick it into a high gear and they, they then then it's, you know, that that goes to one in every two games or maybe, you know, almost all the time. But other guys just kind of o- occupy that, you know, that they're they're keep the throttle a little bit lower. They don't they don't go into the red zone all that often. And it wouldn't surprise me if at least in the regular season, but maybe even into the playoffs, if Simmons ends up being more that type of guy, especially than Giannis, who we've already seen just I mean, the he's a defensive player of the year, you know, he's in the conversation. I don't think he's gonna win it. But like that coupled with his offensive role, like that kind of the kind of energy it takes to do that is really incredible. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. And it's why I think Giannis, to me, is the MVP, because he's been such a dominant two-way force. I mean, you can make an argument for him for both MVP and Defensive Player of the Year, which, you know, for his greatest James Harden has been, it's, you obviously can't do that for him. Uh, and, yeah, it is that is one of the things that does give you pause about uh, Ben Simmons moving forward. And, and it's one of those things that it's why I don't think they're on the same level or, or really can be. And it's it's also why I think it's fair if you wonder if if Ben long term is the guy that can be a, a top two or three guy on a championship team because his flaws are so significant that if they aren't uh, improved upon or or fixed in some way, um, I'm just not sure what his true ceiling is as an impactful player in the league. Last up in this conversation, apologize. I mean, the, the the Pacers have had a fabulous year just with the talent that they currently have. I don't think they're in this conversation. So then the last team really of that top tier of the East is the Celtics. To me, in terms of talent and ceiling, the Celtics are in the mix with, with this group. And some of what has sidetracked them, you know, the they've had these lulls. They've had, the, there's, it sounds like there's a lot of weird stuff off the court. I've had a lot of trouble getting a read on them because for me, generally speaking, when you have a talented team that has played well, not necessarily this specific group, but a a lot of the individual players have have had strong playoffs and I think they're well coached, I generally kind of write that stuff off. But I don't know. It's been so persistent. I'm not 100% sure that I should. Yeah, it's been an incredibly weird year for the Celtics all the way through. And, you know, you're not alone in not being able to figure out what's going on with the Celtics because as somebody who's around them a lot, the question I get more than any other question at all from people around the league is, hey, man, what's going on with the Celtics? 
Like I, I get that question, if not every day, once every two or three days from somebody, right? Uh, some other person like, hey, like, are they going to figure it out? Are they going to get this right? Is Kyrie going to stay? Like, what's going on? Uh, and there's not a there's not a good answer, right? There's not a good answer to what's going on. I mean, you know, I think part of it is Kyrie is the leader of the team and Kyrie's been up and down from an emotional standpoint. And that's led to the Celtics being up and down. Um, you know, as you've seen, you know, by up and down, I mean, him, you know, at times saying things are great and at times, it's, you know, going after the young guys, other things on the team. Um, I think they've really been damaged by the quirk in the CBA that didn't allow them to trade for Anthony Davis. Um, the Celtics entered the season with too many guys. Part of the reason they entered the season with too many guys is because they needed to save all their chips to trade for Anthony Davis. They couldn't trade for Anthony Davis. And because of that, they've had several guys that have been frustrated, understandably so, um, all season long at their role or lack of a role or uh, not being in the same position they were before. Uh, and I don't really know what else they could do about it because they um, they just didn't have the ability to uh, balance out their team in a way they would have liked because um, – you know, they, they just didn't have the, uh, you know, they didn't, they, they needed to hang on to all these guys, Terry Rogier and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Marcus Morris and, uh, you know, Gordon Hayward. And, and just, they just, they have a lot of talent, but if the talent overlaps and the roles aren't clearly defined because of it, uh, it can lead to a lot of issues. And I, I think more than it, that, that combined with frankly, Aaron Baines being hurt a lot, who is, a sneaky huge piece for this team. Um, and I think when the, I think when he plays, there's something like 31 and 16. And when he doesn't play, I think they're 16 and 14. Uh, I know those numbers aren't exact; those don't add up to. Uh, well, they might they might be right. It's it's right around there. Um, it, you know, so when he plays, he's a big piece of them. He's missed, I think, you know, 30, 25, 30 games. Uh, so it's a lot of stuff that's added together. But there's a reason people around the league are not quite ready. Just like people are ready to you know, are skeptical about the box kind of from a, we haven't seen them do it yet. Uh, people saw what the, what the Celtics did last year. They know Kyrie Irving's on the team. They have Al Horford. They have a lot of depth. They have a lot of talent. And so because of that, you know, teams are kind of, people around the league are kind of equally wary to officially write off the Celtics, even if everything that's happened would lead you to believe that this team does not have what it takes to make a serious, you know, finals type run like they were supposed to. Something I want to keep track of is that Boston has been very good defensively. I mean, they've been elite offensively with Kyrie, Marcus Smart, Tatum, and Horford on the floor. Really, no matter who the fifth guy was, they've actually the worst of their offensive groups has been with with Marcus Morris. I think some of that's just also because it's a bigger sample. So then the, some of the other ones can be a little bit aberrational. But if they're, de- I think they, their defensive ceiling is is plenty high. It might not be as as high as like Toronto or something, but they can score a lot, and I think they can score on most teams and I think that's a big problem too is that if you you know that they they'll have some lulls because absolutely but I think that if if they can defend well enough to keep a game close they have guys that can score them they can execute they have they they often have some of the best out of bounds plays in the league and so I I'm really interested in kind of what they can sort out and what they can figure out during this because I I'm a believer in their potential yeah and and so do so do a lot of other people, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's that's what makes them such a difficult team to read because really everything that's happened over the first 78 games should lead you to believe this team has no chance of making the finals, right? Uh, they can't, they, for all the things we said about Milwaukee and Toronto, about the way they've handled this season, the Celtics have been the opposite. Uh, yet nobody's quite ready to jump off the ship because they do have an awful lot of talent, you know, a lot of it proven in the playoffs. 
And if they do lock in and do play the way they're capable of, they are capable of beating anybody in the East. Uh, and that, that's what makes it tricky. Um, and we'll find out in the second round. You know, this really has drawn about as well as it could have. You know, they would have probably loved to get Philly, but, um, you know, they're getting an Indiana team without Victor Oladipo. If they had Victor Oladipo, you know, maybe they trade for Mike Conley, right? You never know, uh, back in February. But I think they kind of smartly kept their powder dry at that point when they didn't have uh, Victor anymore. And, you know, that's, that's a series that, that Boston should win. If they can if they can get home court tomorrow, I think that'd be a significant step towards them, you know, being sure they can get past the first round. And then they get Milwaukee, which is, as we talked about at the top, a really good matchup for them, right? So, um, and, you know, Philly, some August by Toronto, that's another team they've had a lot of success against. So, you know, it, it has drawn pretty well for the Celtics. Uh, but again, this is a team that struggled to win on the road in the playoffs in the past. Can they do it this year? They're going to have to if they want to advance, maybe all out all three rounds, but at least out of the last two. Uh, and they need to get past some of the inconsistencies that have dogged them all year and have people wondering if they are ever going to reach the potential everyone thought they had. The last thing I want to ask you, this is something that I've been grappling with, and you have, first of all, you have different in, you have different instincts, but you're also closer with these teams than I am, is I've brought up numerous times in this podcast about how these these teams and then other teams in the East, including the Indiana Pacers, who basically like their entire team other than Oladipo and Turner and Sabonis are free agents this year, and Brooklyn has a bunch of uncertainty, Orlando, like all these teams do. So my question is, is not about, I, I think the way that I want to frame this is, which decisions, and that can be both a team recommitting to a player, so like Philly with Jimmy Butler, or a player recommitting to a team like Kawhi, do you think are most dependent on what happens over the next two months? Um, I mean, I think you can make an argument that all of them are, right? Like, I think for Kyrie Irving and Al Horford, I think what happens over the next two months could really mean a lot. Um, I think for Kawhi Leonard, what happens over the next two months could really mean a lot. I think for, uh, you know, the Sixers and Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris, what happens over the next two months could mean a lot. Um, you know, I think even for Giannis Antetokounmpo, right? Like, I know he's not a free agent this summer, but if the Bucks win a title this year, right, uh, I think the chance of him staying in Milwaukee and taking the DPE uh, in a year go up pretty exponentially, right? Which would have a pretty massive impact on the league. Just him, just whatever his decision is, right? Whether he stays or goes. Um so yeah, I think I think you can make a good argument that all of them do. I, I don't know if there's one I feel that way about more than the others. Um, you know, I think given the potential ramifications, I think you could argue that either Kawhi or Kyrie might be the most important one, right? Uh, if Kyrie decides to stay and if Kawhi decides to stay, I mean, that could have really fundamental impacts on a variety of things, whether it's the pursuit of Anthony Davis, whether it's the, um, you know, whether it's just what the Knicks do, whether they can get Kyrie and Kevin Durant, uh, whether, you know, the Clippers you know, can get a guy like Kawhi or if they have to um, go in another direction this summer. Uh, so so maybe just those two guys, because they're you know, maybe the two most prominent and interesting guys available, maybe those are the most critical ones. But I think for all those teams, I think how the playoffs go is going to have a big impact, not just on, uh, you know, what happens in the short term, but potentially for all of them, what happens in the long term? Because if you get Kawhi to stay, you know, suddenly things, you know, the, the long-term focus changes in Toronto. If Kyrie stays and Anthony Davis shows up, that's a much different scenario than if Kyrie leaves and, you know, maybe Al Horford leaves too, right? Same with Philly. They could either keep all their guys or maybe, you know, let's say they lose in the first or second round somehow. Maybe Tobias says, I want to go play in Brooklyn. Maybe Jimmy says, you know, maybe they don't want to re-sign Jimmy. Maybe they come out of this with neither of those guys back, right? Like all these things, you know, are, hey, and, you know, maybe the Bucks lose in the second round this year and the second round next year and Giannis goes, this is going to work. I'm out. 
you know, all, all those things are kind of in play. And, you know, to me, it is what makes these playoffs this year so fascinating because you do have such high stakes across the board that if we get the second round we're anticipating, all four of those teams have, you know, massive ramifications on the line if they win or lose those series uh, involving all those guys and how they shape, you know, both their future is in 2019-20 and their future is in, you know, from 2020 to 2025. On top of that, if we don't get those series, that means something even bigger happened in certain ways. So like, <laughs> right, and exactly. I, I would. My instinct is that the least impacted would be the non-Giannis Bucks free agents. You know, like that. You, I think that considering the season that they've had, yeah, even if they lose, let's say I think their reasonable worst case scenario is they lose to the Celtics in the second round. You still resign yeah, Chris. To keep their, their, their stated goal is to keep their core together. Yeah, like they're going to yeah, keep Chris Giannis, Middleton. That's what Giannis wants. Right. That's what Giannis wants, and that's that's what they're going to do. Yeah, and you have to maximize your window with Giannis no matter what. Like, you, you, it, yeah, you, may, you might screw up your cap for a couple of years after that. It's very different to do that when you have the best regular season team in the league and would be for next year as opposed to, let's say, like Charlotte or a lot of these other teams that have spent money on guys that are more support players than stars. And also, I right. mean, securing Bledsoe with the price they did, I think that was a meaningful step in this. And I'm hopeful that they'll be able to retain Miritich, but we'll obviously have to see. I mean, that's a, a big question, and they won't have gotten as much time to evaluate him, though, I mean, they can evaluate what he did in other stops as well. And and the other one for me is the Pacers, just because I think their their expectations are so different that it's possible. I mean, it's, a lot of it depends on what other teams offer, like Bogdanovich and Thaddeus Young and those types of players. But broadly speaking, my instinct is that they're they're probably happy with how this season went. I mean, they've they've been to me they they impressed before Oladipo got hurt. They impressed after Oladipo got hurt, and there is a real risk if you have to give Bogdanovich and Thaddeus Young years that you're going to commit to a team that just, you know, that if you're fine, like hosting a playoff series and maybe winning a series or two every year, you know, kind of like where the wizards most pretty much ended up. Like if you're fine with that, then by all means, they could have that team for another few years. But if they want to be more than that, then they're going to have to take a bolder direction. But I'm not sure that they do. And I'm not sure that Indiana, I guess trading for Connolly would probably be their path to something bigger, but it's hard for a team that is both not a free agent destination and also not particularly asset rich to get to that next level, especially if the East stays strong like it has been this year. Well, also one that's that's not necessarily having the deep enough pockets to, you know, not even not only pay the tax, but even get that close to it necessarily, right? I mean, that's that's uh, that's another factor too, and, and and also, I mean, look with Victor Oladipo with the uh, injury situation that he has right now, it also makes it tough for them to really go all in, right? Because I mean, look, if Victor comes back and is half the player he was before, then you know you're spending a lot of money, uh, say in a Conley trade, right? I mean, if you, they can't really go bumping up near the tax if they have a team that you know Victor's a becomes kind of a millstone instead of a star in their uh, first round and out team, right? So. If he's healthy right now, things are a lot different probably. But because he's hurt, until he comes back, I think you know it makes their decisions a lot more complicated. Including what do they what do they do with Miles Turner and Demonis Sabonis, a pairing that to this point I don't think has really proven it can work together that well. Even though the numbers are okay, they haven't played them together a ton. I think for obvious reasons, right? And uh, you know, I think you guys both rank both of them as centers on your your ranking spot recently, and I, I think that was fair. Um, so yeah, there's, 
there's, there's just a lot to sort out there. And I, I think it's unfortunate that the way things played out for them, because they're a really good team. That's, that's really deep. They play really hard. I think Nick McMillan's done a great job, but it, it is tough to, um, it is tough to gauge what the right path forward is for them because they don't, you know, they're working at a, at a information deficit that I, they're not going to have enough context for to make, you know, I think fully informed decisions, even by the time they have to in July. Also think about if Oladipo hadn't gotten hurt, Indiana probably, given how everything else turned out, probably would have gotten the three. And that would have meant Boston, Boston, Philly, and Milwaukee all would have been on the same side of the bracket. And that would have been absolutely bananas. Yep. No, it would have been, I mean, it it certainly, it, I mean, there was until Indiana had a stretch where they lost to like Detroit, Dallas, and I think Minnesota in a five day stretch. And if they, if they had just not had that stretch, I mean, I think you would have been looking at them as the three seed the way things have shook out. I mean, it's really just, you know, they had, they had a couple bad weeks and, uh, you know, Philly got ahead of them and that was, that was kind of a wrap. And, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, that, I mean, imagine the stakes for the NBA, if you know, you'd have had a Philly Boston first round series, I mean, that, you know, set aside the fact that Toronto would have been looking pretty, you know, with a cruise control to the conference finals. Um, you also would have had just enormous implications on all the things we talked about right out the shoot in the first round. It would have been really fascinating to see how they played out, but as it is, you know, the NBA, I, I think no offense to Pacers fans. I think the NBA gets the second round. Now it probably wants if Boston can get by Indy, which I don't think is a sure thing. And, um, you know, we kind of avoid what would have been a potential doomsday scenario for one of those teams in the in the first round if they'd had to square off. Just one brief question on the West and I'll I'll answer is it really the Warriors and everyone else? Do you think that's a reasonable interpretation of, of the of the the playoffs there? Yep. I think that you can argue that the five best teams in the East are the four teams atop the East and the the Warriors. Uh even with the Celtics issues, I still think that they're um as good or better than a lot of these teams at the top of the West. I don't believe in Houston. I definitely don't believe in Denver. Um, you know, I think you've seen, you know, with Nurkic's injury, with the Thunder's offensive issues, uh, you know, the Spurs and Clippers, uh, Utah's offensive. I mean, if, all those teams are flawed, right? And so to me, I think that, uh, you know, I tweeted this during the Denver game. I, I think there's two teams in the, in the league that in the finals can, can give Golden State a real run or that in a series can give Golden State a real run for their money. One is Milwaukee. The other is Toronto. I don't think, assuming health, uh, which if for this kind of exercise I always do, I don't think there's another team that can really give them a challenge. But I do think in the finals, if one of those two teams makes it there, uh, I think I think Golden State's margin for error is a lot smaller um, than maybe a lot of people think. I, I don't. I think they've done a poor job the last couple of years in terms of building out their roster. I do think they have weaknesses. I do think they're exploitable weaknesses, uh, and I do think those two teams are good enough to exploit them. I don't know if they're good enough to beat them, but. Uh, but I don't think that there's anybody in the West that can that can truly challenge them in the same way. I agree with that. Uh, anything else you want to discuss or promote before we head up? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, you can follow my work uh, on Twitter. You can, you can find everything on ESPN. I'm sure I'll have to be on TV plenty over the next couple months as we get into the playoffs. I'll be with the Celtics, the, team, the league's most confounding team, uh, until they lose. Uh, it'll also be bounced around the East a little bit, so... Um, just really excited for this, these playoffs to start. I think, you know, this is the best Eastern Conference playoffs in, I don't know how long, maybe two decades, maybe going back to like the, the, the 90s with the Bulls, uh, in terms of just the depth across the conference, I think, with these four teams. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm really excited after, uh, for months of waiting for it to see how it all shakes out. It's going to be awesome. I'm, I'm super excited for it. And the first round might be a little bit less interesting, but after that, we're going to get huge implications basically every single night. And I'm, I, I, I couldn't be more excited. 
Yeah, I mean, like you said before, your question was really interesting, right? Because that's the um, th- that's really kind of the way I-, I look at it is that that's from the second round on. There's just gigantic implications in every game, uh, both not only for the obvious of how teams advance in the playoffs, but also you know what happens beyond that and and uh, what happens this summer and and how how all these things you know fold into one you know fold one after the other in terms of what's going to happen in the future. I mean, it's just the stakes are going to be extremely high and it's going to be a lot of fun to see how it shapes out and then what it means, you know, after it it does. Thanks so much for taking the time. Anytime, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks again to Tim Bontemps for taking the time to come on. You can read him and often see him on and at ESPN and you can follow him on Twitter at Tim Bontemps, T-I-M-B-O-N-T-E-M-P-S. We've been talking about doing this podcast for a few weeks now, and I I thought it was a really good exercise that ended up being pushed back a little bit to do it right before the playoffs because the injury status of guys like Joel Embiid and what's going on with the Bucks is is really important, and those are still evolving situations that we hope everybody's back and, and healthy for the playoffs. I don't I have a couple ideas, have one really interesting one for next week's show. My general concept for Real Jam Radio is for it to not be as much about the granular day-to-day stuff because I do dunked on with Nate and we're also going to be doing the NBA cast a lot of days so that'll be you know the in, my insights on each game are going to be very available and I'll probably do writing as well so instead I'm thinking about using Real Jam Radio for big picture stuff big conversations instead because I don't really want to duplicate that's no fun for me that's no fun for you and I make the assumption correct or otherwise that a lot of people who listen to this listen to my listen to my other content so if you strongly disagree with that, that's a great reason to reach out. Feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, always appreciated. NBA at gmail.com. But that's my general plan right now and have a really interesting idea for how to start that process. And I'm hoping it happens, but we're not locked in yet, so I can't say for sure. If you want to support this show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. If you want to be super awesome and you use something else, you can leave a review both places. That's really great. Helps people find the show. Also, word of mouth is extremely important. And downloading every episode, ideally in the form of subscription, is huge too, because then helps our numbers. And then you can get into it. You don't, if you subscribe, then you don't have to think about it every time. You don't have to see one of my tweets or something else. You can you can get it that way. Really do appreciate it. And the most important thing you can do with this show or any other that has them is to check out our sponsors. That's just absolutely massive in our business. And betonline.ag, use that podcast one promo code for a 50% welcome bonus. And you can also, in the next couple of days, tweet at me with your BetOnline account number and the hashtag SportsNetBracket. And some of the people who do so will be getting $100 in their accounts, which is awesome. You can check out CBS Sports HQ on your mobile phone phone or smart device. Lots of cool content there. Yahoo Daily Fantasy. Go to yahoo.com slash daily fantasy or download the Yahoo Fantasy app. Use the promo code POD25 for $25 in free play on top of your minimum deposit. Minimum deposit's only five bucks. And TrueCar, great place to sell or trade in your car. And I... I'm really excited for where I'm going to go with Real Jam Radio. I have a couple of cool ideas and thinking of it as a compliment to all of my other work. Not only has it made it more intellectually stimulating for me, but I think that will lead to a better listener experience. And I'll do some off-season preview stuff as well because that's important to me. But that'll probably, I'm guessing that will be more in the later stage, especially because the lottery hasn't happened yet and that's going to have some big ripple effects this year. So that's enough rambling. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.